Hey there, Andy Jenkins here. It is an amazingly beautiful day here. I am perched up in the attic on the third floor of my house. You guys know that we built that out years ago. And as I told you in a couple episodes ago, uh, our boys lived here, slept here for uh, a couple years. And Christy and I were officing, you know, we, we work from home. And so we were officing from the kitchen, from the bedroom, from the you know, anywhere, everywhere, wherever you could figure it out. And finally, uh, she just had this brilliant idea that we moved the boys downstairs into a different room that we had that was kind of the hodgepodge of all things room. Um, we, we called it the Libraria with, with the uh on the end, Libraria, as if it's Espanol, because one of the boys early on, we used to call it the library, had books, computer, all that stuff in there. And one of the boys couldn't say library. But he could say Libraria, and he called it that when he was younger, and that name just kind of stuck. So the boys moved downstairs into the Libraria, and Christy and I are now upstairs in the attic, and I love it up here. I can be at home, and at the same time, I can actually jump up, get out, get away, and the view from here is uh, its just our neighborhood, and it's just the city of Birmingham, but it, it's... Man, trees and birds, and you, you may even be able to hear them chirping. I don't know how sensitive the mic is. New mic, just started using it last episode, um, but it's a, uh, it's a great day. And, so, uh, and it's different. Last time I recorded for you, it was in the middle of the night, and I was looking out this window, and I couldn't see a thing. It was so dark. Uh, all the porch lights out. It was about midnight, and... Um, so glad to be here in the middle of the day, and you can hear the kids laughing kind of in the background. That's kind of how it goes when we when we work from home. So you got the joy back there, and uh, don't be surprised at some point if you get a little bit of, um, not laughter, but a little pain from one kid, you know, snatching a Lego or uh, something else um, much like that. Uh, so where was I? All right. Back in the last episode, I talked about this idea of faith and how for healing, There is no faith required. Faith is not a work we have to do that earns the favor, earns the blessing of God. His heart, his favor has already turned towards you, and he's demonstrated that in the work of Christ on the cross, among every other thing that Jesus has done. In fact, Romans 8 says, He who did not withhold his son from you, how would he not freely give you all things? all things, okay? And so faith is not this work. A lack of faith doesn't handcuff, doesn't shackle God from being able to move. But at the end of that, and if you remember that episode, I'm not going to go back through the whole thing right here. You can kind of just kind of log on and listen to that one if you want to listen to it. I gave you several different categories of faith or lack of faith that we see happening in the New Testament, whereby Jesus just heals through all of them, okay? And so you saw everything from no faith to partial faith to total faith to someone else's faith to the fifth category was this. It was sometimes the faith is backed by action or or sometimes an activity causes the healing to spring forth. And really to kind of get onto that one, you've got to expand your view of healing. You've got to expand your view of how this thing actually occurs. And so um, let me kind of roll into it and roll into all of this just kind of by way of, of my story. 
And that will help you understand me and where I'm coming from on this. And it's going to illustrate this point. It's going to illustrate these ideas, these concepts that I'm going to outline for you. It's going to illustrate them, I think, really clearly to where you'll be able to not only understand it, but you're probably going to be able to see the same thing has happened already in your life or in the life of someone you know. All right, so here it is. Uh, Just three years ago, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. Christy and I were on a trip uh, to Hawaii, uh, of all places. She had won a trip uh, through uh, her home-based business with Young Living Essential Oils. And so we're there, and we were in the top 10 in the world in that trip, which means it was all expenses paid for two. Uh, At the time, we were living so financially tight, paycheck to paycheck. There's no way we could have afforded to go, either one of us at all. Um, but there we were, both of us, all expenses paid on this great trip. Now, on that trip, I jumped out of the shower one day and just kind of caught a glimpse of myself full length in the mirror, naked. And I, you know, the reality is if you want to get acquainted with yourself really quickly and find out where you stand or how comfortable you are in your own skin, just go take off your clothes and go look at yourself in the mirror. Completely, completely bare. And so I looked and I thought, man, I, I am not the fit version of myself that I was you know, 15, 18, 20 years ago. I'd kind of been thinking I was, even though I didn't feel like it, and even though I had intentionally avoided the scale, and even though I didn't like getting my picture taken, and even though there were all of these things and all these markers that would kind of point to the fact that I knew that I wasn't, but getting that glimpse, it was kind of just raw and honest. And I, I talked to Christy. She was kind of right there around the corner from the bathroom. You know, and you know how hotel rooms, you know, the bathroom is just kind of right around the corner. And I, I said, um, hey, I could stand to lose a little bit of weight, couldn't I? And she said, um, yeah, you, you could stand to. And it sounds funny, or some people think it was mean. You know, this was a conversation she and I had had for years. She had always said things like, "Hey, do you do you think you might be drinking all of your calories?" And at the, the time, I thought, "Man, there's no way you can just drink calories. Like, calories that you drink are free, right? Like, you know, a soda uh, may be loaded with 250 calories, but they don't really count because it's a liquid, right?" Well, I'm kind of looking at this on this journey and. I remember at the time I was drinking two venti size white chocolate mochas from Starbucks every single day, adding caramel to each one. It was a 750 calorie drink I was getting twice a day. And on top of it, each time I went, I would also get a, I had a pecking order of the treats that I would get with that white chocolate mocha. So if they had a apple fritter, uh, man, I love those. I would get an apple fritter. If they didn't, I would get the old-fashioned donut. If they didn't have that, I would go to the cheese danish. And there was never an instance where they didn't have one of those three. I would always have something to eat. So I, I'm getting each snack about 1,000, 1,100 calories of sugar. I'm doing that twice a day. 2,200 calories, which is probably a full dosage for a man that's now my size, full-grown man. Um, I, I was getting that many calories every day just in sugar. And, and I wasn't skipping meals. And that wasn't the only snacks I was getting. I mean, I look at it in retrospect and I'm thinking, goodness, but it's amazing that I didn't have more health issues than I had and that I wasn't larger 
than I was. Uh, and of course, some of that was kept in check by the fact that I could still go run five, six, seven, eight miles. I would do that once every week, week and a half, you know, something like that. I would say I was going to exercise, but my body was so out of shape that whenever I did, it would take me literally days to recover. So I look at myself in the mirror and I uh, say to her, hey, I could stand to lose a little bit of weight, couldn't I? And, and it's a conversation we had had many times. And so it's the first time really, though, that I am there and I'm ready to hear it, own it, and do something about it. And so I, she says, yeah. And I, and I say, well, what, what do you think? Like 10 pounds or so, something like that. And, and she kind of is like, um, maybe a little higher. And so I asked her, I was like, well, like 15, 20, uh, maybe a little higher. And we do this thing. Some of you heard this story before. We, we go up in five to 10 pound increments and we do this all the way until we get to about 30 pounds. And she says, yeah, you, you could stand to lose 30 or 35 pounds. And I thought, man, that, that is, that's a lot of weight. And, and I thought initially, there's no way I've got that much. But then it is, you know, I started thinking about, well, how much do I weigh? And what, what should I weigh? And what did I weigh when I was in college? And what did I weigh when I was in seminary? And since that time, I had avoided the scale because I, I really didn't want to know what it said. Um, I jumped on it maybe once a year, and I knew that thing was smacking up at 222, 25, something like that. And I remember, I remember thinking, gosh, you know, it's time to make a change. Like I was, I was 40, you know, I was in, and I was thinking, gosh, you know, the, the deal is for me, I was thinking at that time that man, when people hit 40, your body just kind of falls apart. And I, I had bought into that myth. Of course, if you read through the Bible, you find out, well, that's completely not true. There's nothing that would back that up because if you look in the scripture, you see guys that it's not even till their forties or till their eighties that they start doing the greatest work that they're called to do. You know, you see guys like Moses uh, that murders a man and runs into the wilderness when he's when he's forty, right? And Joshua and Caleb, you know, they're not doing anything until they're 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 virtually eighty when they're taking over the promised land. You uh, see, Abraham's not called until he is um, around the same age. He doesn't birth his son Isaac until he's a hundred years old. And so over and over, repeatedly throughout the scripture, you see that you can't, you can't fall under the illusion that people just fall apart when they get old. It's, it's not an aging thing where all of a sudden, especially at 40, which is where I was, your, your body just disintegrates, right? And, and I had kind of bought into that, and I was thinking that that's true. And so at that point, you know, I thought, well, that's why I can't lose weight. That's why I'm out of shape. And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to lose it. And I was thinking, let me, let me just be very honest with you, okay? I was going to lose the weight for, purely for cosmetic reasons. And so I made a plan. I made a plan that for the next uh, 90 days, I wasn't going to eat sugar, sweets. Um, I was going to only eat a certain amount of food. I wasn't going to skip meals. I was going to exercise every single day. I, I, in fact, I've written a blog post about this. And I will put the link to that blog post in the show notes here, where if you want to read more, you can just get there. You can log on and you could just see exactly what I did and how, how it unfolded. And so I did that routine and I started losing weight and started knocking it off two, two and a half, three, four pounds sometimes each week progressively. And, you know, the clothes got looser. I started feeling better. And here's what happened. Before that time, 
my body had been racked with all of these health issues. Now, I'm, I'm losing the weight not to get rid of the health issues. I'm just losing the weight. In fact, I haven't even made the correlation that some of these health issues could be related to my weight. I am losing the weight simply because I don't want to be overweight. I don't want to be... Um, I, I had this phrase that I kind of would tell people at the time, kind of still own it. You know, I was festively plump at the time. That kind of describes where, where I was. And so I... Uh, was losing the weight just to get rid of this. Now, at the same time, I had these health issues that had marked me for a couple years. For for instance, in the middle of the night, I would wake up three to four times in the evening to have to use the restroom. Every single time that I did, it, it's like my bones almost had, I don't want to self-diagnose, um, but it's almost like it was arthritis type stuff. Like my bones would creak. I had to hold on to the side of the bed. Um, I, it took me a while to get moving. I could hardly walk. Um, that was true even in the morning when I woke up. Now, once I got going, I, I would be fine throughout the day, but it was this really uh, difficult, tedious. In fact, Christy often wondered, uh, she would see this and she would wonder, how in the world am I going to take care of him when he gets older? And so that would happen. Uh, every time uh, I ate something, I would have this indigestion. My stomach would just become upset. And, and sometimes, you know, not, not trying to gross you out, just trying to tell you where it was. Many, many times, even when I you know, did number two, there would be blood in it, which, which is just not normal. You know, in fact, uh, doctors will say, and, and particularly naturopath doctors will say that the gut is really the second brain and gut health is essential to your overall body's well-being. They tend to believe that. And so uh, you, you knew from that something was out of whack. Uh, I had mental fog, brain fog. You know, I couldn't think straight. It, it was just this, uh, man, ongoing uh, just list of issues, um, t- tons of issues. Um, that, that I've listed off in other, other areas. So I'm, I'm losing weight just for purely cosmetic reasons, just because I don't want to be overweight. And, and here's what I saw. As I began losing the weight, a lot of these issues that I had disappeared. Some of them were cured, healed instantly. Instantly, the digestion was taken care of almost immediately by just changing what I was eating and exercising. Instantly, it's gone. Within just a few weeks, the the shaking with the bones and all of that was gone. I, I think some of that probably would have been gone instantly quicker, but at the same time, I was exercising uh, every day. And so I think that some of that was probably just soreness and muscle tension and that sort of thing, kind of uh, working through that initial awkward phase while you know I'm simultaneously being healed of the other. Um, my, my mental clarity, brain fog, gone pretty quickly. Um, over time, I, I became more alert. Uh, my stamina, my endurance um, in all areas of life increased. And what I saw, and again, I've written this and talked about this in other venues, what I saw is that a lot of issues that I had going on in my life were healed instantly. And a lot of them were, I would say, healed over time. And so with that, I actually stepped back and started to begin studying what was going on. Now, you know, I grew up in the church and I've worked in churches and taught in churches and preached at churches and pastored at churches and worked in nonprofits and Christian organizations for a long time. And I'd always taught that Jesus heals. And we had often, uh, for at least the last 10 years, prayed for and seen miracles happen and seen healing. I was perplexed why more healing didn't happen, uh, particularly when Jesus says things like, 
uh, Mark 16, uh, 15, he says, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Uh, Or in John 14, Jesus says, uh, you'll do greater works than I do because I go to the Father. So so Jesus is here on earth and he's healing everybody is what the scripture says. And he says, we're going to do greater works and that's going to include healing, yet everyone is not healed. Or many people that were healed, uh, many times, the, the symptoms, the aggravations, the issues would would return after what seemed to be a very quick season. And so that's kind of a tension that I'm, I'm wondering with. And so as this healing process is happening for me, what I do is I kind of step back and I think, okay, I'm, I'm going to actually study through this and I'm going to look at this and I'm going to see what the Bible says and, and see if I can at least make some sense of all of it. Now, here's what I come up with. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, God gives Adam and Eve every seed-bearing plant for, your translation of the Bible may say, for food. Every seed-bearing plant I give you in the Garden of Eden for food. Now the word there in the Hebrew language, Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament, the one it was originally penned in. The word there is okla. Every seed-bearing plant I give you for okla. Now now the word okla, it translates um, as food and it translates as items for healing, medicines. And, and so you look in the scripture and you see that in the beginning at creation, uh, God was giving every seed bearing plant, plants, he was giving plants for food and for healing, food and medicines. Now you think about that and I often wondered, well, why in the Garden of Eden, why at creation is God already given Adam and Eve plants, items for healing? And some people say, well, he, he was doing this because he's gracious and he was doing this because he's kind and he knows that in just a few chapters, people are going to sin and they're going to need a remedy for illness and sickness and disease and every other bit of chaos that's coming because of sin. And that would be a valid point, I, I think. I, I think it would make sense. However, there's something more that I want to show you. And that something more is this. When you look and get a snapshot of what's going on in heaven, there are at least three writers in the Bible, three people that write, that see, that get uh, a vision of heaven. And two of them actually write about healing in heaven. So one of them is Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel 47, 17, Ezekiel is talking about Revelation and he looks and he sees the tree of life, the river of life. And he says this, he says, the leaves of the tree of life, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Um, he actually, in that term, uses the word okla. It's the same thing. Like, like it, it's the same thing that's going on in Eden. And so when we look into heaven, you know, we see the same thing that we see in the garden, which is we also see healing. And you, and you look at this and you say, well, in heaven, it, it kind of makes sense that people might eat because Jesus ate after he was resurrected. You know, he went and on multiple occasions. We see him with the disciples and he's eating. So that kind of makes sense. Um, and Isaiah writes about, you know, the wedding supper of the lamb in heaven. And so we, we kind of see some of this poetic imagery kind of playing into eating. But, but the items for healing, healing in Revelation, that same word, okla, it's one that doesn't seem to make sense, right? Because in heaven, all sickness is gone. He he wipes away every tear from their eyes. Illness is gone. Disease is gone. Sin 
the cause of suffering, the cause of everything that's been chaos since the fall is eliminated. It's taken care of. And so you look at this and think, well, why in the world do we have healing in Eden before sin? Why in the world do we have healing after total redemption and after the reconciliation and restoration of all things in heaven, in the kingdom? And to understand that, you really kind of, I think, have to get into the New Testament. And you start seeing what Jesus was doing. Now, by the way, um, what theologians use uh, to refer to some of this is this idea of the law of first mention. And what the law of first mention means, this is just kind of a footnote, okay? Um, What the law of first mention means is that whenever you see something for the first time in the scripture, when it's first mentioned, when it's first said, that gives us a clue as to how we should understand that thing throughout the remainder of the text because that's when it was mentioned first. So we know that, for instance, God is not a legalistic, authoritative judge that's trying to smite people because the first mention of God is he's walking and he's communing with Adam and Eve. He is a relational God, not a chaotic disaster type of God. Okay, that's set up with the law of first mention. Um, We know that Adam and Eve were uh, meant to live in harmony with each other. Adam was not meant to dominate her and rule her as a male chauvinist. Eve was not meant to be this, you know, broad feminist to to just kind of rock him and smite him either. They, They were partners. You know, she was taken from the side of him, not from the head to rule over him, not from his feet to be trampled upon. She was taken out of the side as an as an equal, as uh, they were partners together in this thing, and that's because of the law of first mention. That's where we see that. So regardless of the oppression we see later on, we know that, and we see Jesus elevating women up because, again, the law of first mention tells us how this should go. And the first time we see plants in the Scripture and Adam and Eve given stewardship of those plants and told and taught how to use them, they are taught how to use them in the context of eating, uh, for nourishment, for sustenance, and items for healing, for health. All right, so when you get in the New Testament, here's, here's kind of what I want to show you. Now, let me, let me set it up by a question. If I asked you, if I said, hey, uh, how many of Jesus's healings, how many of his healings were not miracles? Okay, let me repeat it, just so you're clear exactly what I asked you. If I ask you, how many of Jesus' healings are not miracles, you would say, no, no matter how theologically conservative or how theologically liberal, or uh, I've got some friends that are atheists that listen to this podcast, that they would even say, man, everything that he did, he was an incredible man. Everything that he did was a miracle. And I... I would I actually do agree with you. Everything that he did was a miracle. However, okay, here's the big aha for me. And by the way, I was in seminary for uh, two, two years, okay, crammed three-year master's of divinity degree into two years, and so studied this like intense on it and completely missed this until I stepped into this natural health world that Christy was walking in 15 years before I woke up to the reality of this, okay? So here's what you see in the New Testament. 
there are multiple words used for healing. Multiple words. One word is this. One word is the word Iomei. Okay, I'm going to write it down in the show notes so that you can see it. Iomei. It's Greek. The New Testament was written in the Greek language, Old Testament and Hebrew. Iomei. It means instantaneous, inbreaking, miracle healing. It is something that God does. Um, you could say it's because of faith. We showed you last week in the previous episode that, you know, it might not be because of faith. Sometimes God just does it. Uh, instantaneous inbreaking of the kingdom. It's a miracle. Iomei. That word appears in the New Testament, uh, translated as healing, about 30 times. There is this other word that's also used that refers to healing. Okay, the second word that you see is the word therapuo. Therapuo. It means to tend to, to menially, intentionally care for, to wait upon, or to heal over time or to teach how to be well. Iomei is instant. Therapuo, you recognize the English translation of that, right? Therapuo therapy is to teach how to be well or is to walk with to be well intentionally over time. We see both of these words appear throughout the New Testament. Now, let me uh, highlight this story for you. In Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to show you the difference there. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, I'm just going to flip through the Bible right there. And so you hear it right there. That's just the printed page right there going right there into the microphone. Um, Here's what happens in Matthew chapter 8 is, uh, and I'm just flipping around looking for it right here. Um, Awkward pause. All right. Awkward pause while I find Matthew 8. 14. So Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house. He entered Simon Peter's house. He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. This is probably a death sentence type fever, dysentery, something where she can't eat, losing all her bodily fluids. You know, she's going to die. Verse 15, he touched her hand. The fever left her. She rose and she began to serve him. She basically, some translations will say in other authors that write this story, that she gets up and she begins to cook for them. Okay? There's no word here used, but you and I get the idea that it is an Iomei. It is, he touched her, she's made well, it's a miracle. Now notice what happens verse 16. That evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick. He healed all who were sick. Now, Matthew goes on and he attaches this to the prophet Isaiah. Verse 17, he says, This was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, that he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. And so Matthew is attaching all of this to healing. But let me show you this. He instantly heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Fever's gone. She gets up. She cooks, serves, waits on them. They bring together everyone from the city and he healed them all. The word there in Matthew 8, 16 is this. It's he therapeued them all. It's not the word he miracled them all. It's like he miracled Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and then he therapeued, he taught everyone else how to be well. Do you, you see what's going on there? Um, let me show you how this happens 
uh, in another instance. Okay, so let's go to the book of Acts. I'm going to flip to Acts chapter 28. Um, this is the passage where uh, Paul, Luke, and some others have been traveling, and then there's a shipwreck, and 200 plus men are suddenly shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Now, when they're there, um, it happens, I'm going to read in verse 8, that the father of Publius, Publius is the chief, and so his father, who was the chief, and now making Publius have to be the acting chief, his father, who was the chief, is on his deathbed. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him, and he prayed, and putting his hands on the chief, he healed him. He iomaied him. He instantaneously, miracles done. Verse 9, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came, and they were healed. Some translations actually pull it out a little bit differently and say they were cured. Here's what Luke, the author of Acts, who is a doctor, by the way, he's a physician, so he would know what the difference is. He would know exactly what's going on. He says, um, Paul put his hands on the chief and he iomaied, miracled him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people come who had diseases and Paul therapeuoed the entire island. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus and Paul both did miracles, instantaneous healing. They also did therapeuo. They also taught people how to be well. They also taught people how to access, how to live this lifestyle. Um, By the way, when Jesus sends out the disciples, in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, we see it. And in Luke 10, he sends out, Luke 10, 1, he sends out the 70. When Jesus sends them out, we know that the disciples did miracles because they come back and they say, hey, we cast out demons in your name and we raise the lepers in your name. And we they go through the list and the blind see. They go through this list and we read the stories of everything they did. And then we read through the book of Acts and we see um, Peter and John not even praying, just saying, hey, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And people are well. So we know they did miracles. But when he sends them out in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, and in Luke 10, verse 1, uh, as well as other places in the scripture, the majority of the time, Jesus actually sends them out. And when he says, go anoint and heal, he says, go anoint and therapeuo, go teach people how to be well. So what does this mean? Um, Well, can Jesus heal miracle lung cancer? Absolutely. Can he also therapeuo teach you the ills of smoking and tobacco and some of those other, what we've learned are kind of nonsenses, right? Uh, can, can he do that? Yes. Yes. He can teach you how to be well. Can he heal diabetes? Yes. Can he teach you about food and better nutrition? Totally. Can he heal an STD? Yes. I've, I've seen him do that when I was working in a housing shelter for people coming off drugs off the streets, out of prison, human trafficking. We saw that regularly. Can he instantaneously heal that? Yes. Can he also teach you the joy and value of true intimacy and giving yourself totally to one other person, you betcha. Can he heal the physical nuisances we tolerate all the time? Not being able to sleep, indigestion, uh, the things that I had going on in my life, creaking bones, uh, some stuff going on with your bladder that's not quite right, brain fog. Can he instantaneously heal that? Absolutely. Can he also teach you better choices about diet, exercise, nutrition, enough stress 
being gone, enough sleep, being here, and enough rest, being present? Can he teach you those? Totally. You see, and both of these things, Iomei, I, miracles, and Therapuo, uh, teaching, living, decision, how to be well, they both work together. But let me give you an illustration that may help it make sense to you. Um, if I if I took a poll and said, hey, uh, how many of you out there, okay, or, or maybe it's just me and you, okay, we're, we're just talking, listening, me and you, one-on-one. If I said, hey, if, if you won the lottery, uh, and now I'm not arguing for the lottery or against the lottery, okay? That's irrelevant I'm, I'm, for this conversation. I'm not making a point whether we should have one or whether we weren't. I'm just saying, suppose, um, suppose Publishers Clearinghouse just knocked on your door and they said, hey, you've won $10 million. Here's $10 million. How many of your financial issues would be resolved? And how long would that last? You know, and I, I think, man, I, I would be good forever, right? I'd, I'd be good forever, yet... The statistics play out and the statistics show and the people that study this thing say that everyone that inherits a huge sum of money, which they define as like $100,000 or more, people that win the lottery or people that get a huge signing bonus pro contract, that within 18 months to 24 months, 70% of those people will be broke again. Now, I'm thinking that if I won that, man, I, I would be in incredible shape. Yet the statistics are, and you can read the news every single day, and you can see this singer who got this big payday lost it all. This uh, guy that just came out of college and got drafted and was pro within a few years, it's gone. And you're like, where, where did it go? And, and why did it go? It, and it's, it's not that a financial miracle, it's not that a financial Iomei instantaneous in-breaking of just raining down money didn't happen. The issue is they didn't know how to budget, they didn't know how to therapeuo or manage the miracle financially that came, right? That's obvious. That's easy for you and I to see. That's easy to latch on to. That's easy to go, yeah, yeah, they, you've got to, even if you've got $10 million, you've got to, you've got to, even if you've been living off of 40000 a year and you suddenly get $10 million, you've got to, you've got to make a budget because you and I know that, gosh, man, you know, taxes are going to take this much and gosh, you know, you, you pay off a house and then you do this and, you know, then people come out of the woodwork and want money, you know, like you've, you've got to manage it. Like you've got to therapeuo, to use our word, what happens there. Well, here, here's what I think. Well, let me just pick on the issue of cancer because this one troubled me. Back years ago, we prayed for a guy to be healed of brain cancer and he was. And then a year later, it was back. And I thought, well, golly, it's, it's like it's a sin issue. He's sinning. That's why it's back. And, and no doubt he was. Like he, he had done some things that weren't great right after that. But, but here's what I've learned is like, you know, Jesus paid for sin on the cross and God has forgiven and forgotten all of my sin, all of your sin, all of this guy's sin. There's no way we should look at sin and blame it on the healing or lack of healing on that sin. Jesus has been successful on the cross, successful for all time. That was bad theology on my part. Okay, I never should have thought that. Thankfully, I never told the guy that, that I had that thought. Here's what's going on though. Doctors say 
uh, and you can just go read this. You can go read this in the AMA. Just go log on to their website. They say that cancer is 5% genetic, 90 to 95% environmental. That means 90 to 95% the things you do, the things you eat, the places you go, whether you get enough sleep, enough rest, too much stress, too much sugar, um, too much things in your body that you shouldn't have, 95% environmental. In other words, what they're saying is it's 5% out of your control, it's 90 to 95% in your control. Or to use my language uh, that we've been using these Greek words for healing, it's 5% of it requires a miracle, 90 to 95% could be cured therapeutic. 90 to 95% could be handled therapeutically. And so now you hear stories of people who've used natural alternatives for cancer. Is that possible? Absolutely. And scientifically, 90 to 95% of it falls in that range. So just kind of track with me here. If a miracle of healing of cancer happens, should we just go on living like we were living or should we take charge of that 90 to 95% even after the healing and steward the miracle by getting enough rest, enough exercise, enough sleep, by eating the right things, by removing stress, by, in other words, living out the therapeutic? Do you see, see like in, in my life, here's what happened. As I started walking out the health, I saw the opposite happen. I saw miracles kick into play. And I'm convinced now that if I stopped walking out, if I stopped exercising, if I stopped eating right, now I, I don't do those things to earn the miracle, right? But if I, if I stop doing those things, I'm convinced that many of the health issues that I had would slowly just kind of come back like a slowly gaining momentum snowball. And what you see right now is a lot of people that are playing kind of the health lottery. We're banking on the fact that if a miracle comes, we're great. If a miracle doesn't come, then we're just up a creek. And, and I would say this. In fact, when I'm teaching in churches, I often kind of phrase it like this. No, no, no. Miracle or no miracle, healing can start now. Okay, get that? Miracle happens? Great. We still want to walk out natural health. Miracle happens, Ioma happens, still great. Let's walk out Therapeuo and steward what happened. Miracle doesn't happen. We pray, and for whatever reason, we don't get the answer that we want. We don't make up an answer as to why we don't get it. We don't kind of import bad theology. We just say, hey, great, it didn't happen. We wish it did happen. Let's walk out the Therapeuo. Let's walk out the natural health alternative anyway. Knowing that sometimes natural health leads to it just kind of jump starts kick starts a miracle a little story 10 years ago goodness maybe more than that a business guy in our church he sent me to chicago to a church called willow creek it's an amazing place to attend a budgeting workshop personal budget like for me finance and uh, he just prayed and just thought this was something that i needed and so i went up there the guy had no idea that we had Gosh, $37,000 of student loan debt we had, house debt we had, uh, car debt we had, a mega credit card from when we first got married. We just kind of shifted the higher balance to a lower you know, interest rate card. And then when you know the interest rate went up, we'd shift it to another. You know, We had all of this. And I remember sitting in there. I remember for two days listening, learning, soaking up the information. And then I remember calling Christy and saying, hey, we're, we're getting out of this debt. We're creating a budget, 
And in a couple years, we're going to be out of this. We're going to work our way out of this. And I remember telling her, you know, the guy that taught this, he said, don't be surprised that after two to three years, and he didn't use the word therapeutic, he said of just stewarding it and of just being disciplined. Don't be surprised if after two to three years of doing this, in your way towards whatever you've got, a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan, whatever it is, to, to pay off your house and everything. Don't be surprised if miraculously something happens that would be on par with a financial miracle and God just shows up and does something incredible. And in other words, what he was saying, to use my health language, is I told you that you know if you have a miracle, you want to back it up with Therapuo. But what he was saying financially is if you therapeuo, and what I saw health-wise is if you therapeuo, sometimes that leads to a miracle. Here's what happened to us. We did that. We paid $50 a head on a student loan, paid it off in a couple of months, then we snowballed it, paid more money to the next debt, snowballed it, paid, and some of you know about the debt snowball. I'm not going to describe it. Within a couple years, our real estate value on our street more than doubled, and all of a sudden, we were able to sell our house for two and a half times what we paid for it, pay off all of that debt, pay cash for renovation on the next house, and it just started this tidal wave of blessing that I would say was a miracle. And I would say the instigator of the miracle was the therapeutic. And so here's what I'm saying health-wise. If you're waiting on a miracle, stop waiting. Start walking out the therapeutic, doing the things that are in your control. The miracle's not in your control. In fact, I often say it like this. I just kind of define my terms when I'm teaching health and healing. I'll define my terms and say, I just, and I know there's kind of a blurry line between these two things, but I'll say just so that we can understand these things correctly, I will say something like this. I will say whenever I'm referring to health, I'm saying that's things you do. When I'm referring to healing, I'm saying that's things God does. When I'm referring to health, that's things you do, choices that you make. When I say healing, that's things God does. And both of these things, both of them, you see them in the life of Jesus and absolutely, totally, both of these things work together. You see? So uh, maybe one more Bible verse and then I think you got the big idea. I'm going to sign off. Revelation 22 too. And, and by the way, like I'm, I'm kind of tracking in my head. And I'm thinking I may have given you the wrong verse on Ezekiel earlier. Um, it may not be Ezekiel 47, 17. Um, l- let me just look it up really quickly, okay? Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, next verse, Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel sees into heaven, and I want to show you what John says when he sees it. Um, but let's go back to Ezekiel first. So here it is. Um Verse 12, not verse 17. Okay, so a little correction right there. On the banks of the river, both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. He's talking about the tree of life in heaven. Nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. It just keeps bearing and bearing and bearing because the water from them flows from the sanctuary. This is a great analogy right here. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Okla. Fruit for food 
leaves for healing. I love how this is the English Standard Version. This translation pulls out both the food and the healing of there. Okay, so it's Ezekiel 47, 12. And I want to wrap up with this verse. Revelation 22, 2, John looks in and he sees the tree of life in heaven. And in Revelation 22, 2, I want to show you something right here. He sees the same thing that Ezekiel saw. By the way, the other guy that saw into heaven was Isaiah. Doesn't mention a tree, though. Um, so Revelation 21, the angel, Revelation 22, verse 1, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river. So he's seeing what Ezekiel saw. Either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the, now get this, they're for the, you know what it says right here, right? You know what it says, for the healing of the nation. The leaves of the tree are for the, catch this, therapeuo of the nation. The leaves of the tree are for the therapeuo. You choose to be well even in heaven. You choose to be well. Let me give you an analogy as I wrap it up. All right, footnote. I don't think Adam and Eve were robots. I think they were real people who chose intimacy with their Heavenly Father. In fact, the Scripture bears that out because it was after sin that they chose to hide from Him and they chose to cover themselves up, cover themselves up from God, cover themselves up from each other. Intimacy being fully known, full disclosure, was, is a choice. We can choose to commune with our Heavenly Father in the same way we can choose health and healing. It's not automatic. Thankfully, goodness, in His grace, God drops down the presence of the kingdom instantaneously through Iomai. But like intimacy, like relationship, it is a choice. You got it? You see it? So, as I sign off, may the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and shine His face a favor upon you. And may you realize right now, miracle or no miracle, healing for you happens and it continues now. If the miracle comes, we continue walking out the therapeo. If the miracle does not come, we walk into the therapeo until we see the manifestation of every good and glorious thing that you need.